Welcome to the Bedpost Podcast. I'm like, what's it called? Um, I'm your host, Darren Pym. And what I like to do here on the pod that I don't know the name of is bring fun and sexy guests into the studio to talk about sex and sexuality with me. Today, I have a lovely guest back, back, back again on the pod. Please welcome to the mic, everybody, the author of the new book, 200 Words to Help You Talk About Sexuality and Gender, Kate Sloan! Hi, nice to be back. I know. I love having you on the pod. <laughs> I love being on the pod. It's a great <laughs> one, even when you can't remember the name of it. <laughs> Whatever. It's my first day. I've only done a couple episodes. <laughs> Give me a break, Kate. <laughs> You'll get into the swing of it. <laughs> yeah, I'll figure it out eventually. <laughs> so, okay, we had you on, like, fairly recently. Um I feel like, yep. <laughs> how fucking busy are you? It seems wild to me. You are pumping out the books, the <laughs> articles, like wild right now. Because we just had you on the pod for your 101 kinky things that even you can do. Yeah, that was uh, that was about seven months ago. And, wow. <laughs> and they, uh, was it? That it doesn't seem possible. Pandemic time has broken my brain. So oh, like, same. But I, I think that that's right. Um, so yeah, they did. I did put out a book six months after the first one, but uh, I did not write them that close together. Like because of the nature of how publishing works and how like the deadlines got pushed back from like pandemic stuff, mm -hmm. um, I did not actually have to like write one book and then me immediately write another one. So oh, good. I'm doing that's... okay. Because <laughs> <laughs> I would be worried. I'm like, what is your life? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so what was the thing? Like, did do you publish the first one and you already knew that you had a second book deal? Or like, what was the, what what happened? How, how did those two things happen so close together like that? I think that sometime after I had submitted the draft for the first one, uh, the publisher came to me with this idea that they had, where like they have this series that they do called 200 Words to Help You Talk About, and they're these cute little books. They are really beautiful, like gorgeous typography, beautiful design. Um, they have like a subject matter expert come in and write uh, a book of definitions of 200 words that are cool. relevant to a particular subject field. So they've done like art, psychology, uh, I think a couple more. And they had asked me originally to do one on sexuality. And I was like, oh, my God, this is so up my alley. I would love to do this. Yeah. And uh, then eventually they decided that sexuality and gender was, you know, maybe more topical or more relevant to some of the, the broader cultural conversations we're having. So yeah. we switched it to that. And so it ended up being about 100 sexuality words and 100 gender words in here. And of course, there are some that sort of cross over between both. Yep. Um, but yeah, it was a <clears throat> it was a really interesting project and uh, definitely a huge undertaking. But yeah. uh, I'm glad that it's out there now. Yeah, I'm like, I, I, I know you and I know how much you know about sexuality and how long you've been <laughs> writing about sex. And I'm like, how could you how could you even narrow it down to 200 words? You know what I mean? Yeah, it was really hard. And um, 
particularly hard for me was like deciding which words that are sort of in vogue or like in mm -hmm. the cultural conversation at the moment uh, are important to include versus words that maybe are more timeless or more enduring, like identity words. Like, for example, one of the words that I decided to have in here is incel because mm, oh, there's cool. been a lot of. Yeah, there's been a lot of, like, discussion in the media about incels, involuntary celibates, and then there's also been, like, literal hate crimes perpetuate or perpetrated by incels. Um, and so it was kind of important to me to take a moment to explain that their worldview is messed up and <laughs> that they're a misogynist hate group. Um, but, you know, it's hard to know whether we'll still even be talking about incels in five or ten years. Yeah, that's interesting. You're mentioning like that balance between, um, you know, figuring out which words you want to do, like like um, trendy stuff that's happening right now. What was the mm -hmm. balance? Where did you want to like pay more attention to make it current like that, or to do things that will be kind of timeless as a reading material? Yeah, I mean, one thing that's interesting about this field is like it's actually hard to tell which is which, and there's mm -hmm. a lot of misinformation coming from the more conservative side of things where people are like all these words are new and all these concepts are new and they're made up and they are fleeting and they're not really reflective of any you know deeper truth about humanity like people will say this about non-binary folks people yeah. will say this about neo pronouns all kinds of things and uh one of the things that i found interesting in researching this book is how many things like that that we think of as being so new that actually are not new yeah. like uh in the section in here that i have about uh gender neutral pronouns i discovered in researching that that there is actually a set of gender neutral pronouns called uh sorry i'm just opening it up trying to find it um there's uh there's gender neutral pronouns that have been used since like the late 18th century Wow. Um, they've been around and there are so many people nowadays being like, you have to stop inventing new pronouns, but it's like, it, all of language is an invention. Language is an mm -hmm. eternally evolving collaborative invention of humanity. That's just how language works. It's how it's always worked. It's literally what language is. And so for people to be like, no new you language. can't make up new words. I'm like, every single word in even the sentence you just said was made up at some point by somebody. Yeah. Oh, that is so interesting. Since like this is a book and this uh, it's a part of a series talking about words. Did you have to like kind of do some research about language? Like was that kind of part of this process for you? I mean, mainly I was just focusing on kind of the sex and gender language side sure. of things. But I do I do have an interest in kind of linguistics in general. Like I don't know if you ever read the book. Um, is it called Hello Internet? I have Something not. like that by a linguist named Gretchen McCulloch. Okay. Uh, sorry, no, it's I think it's because Internet. Um, and it's this really interesting book about kind of like the linguistics of the Internet age and kind of how things evolve. Mm -hmm. um, so it's definitely something that I'm interested in in general. But I think that the reason that I'm interested in it is because of these sexuality and gender words, because I just find it so fascinating that there are words that I and that people close to me feel so uh you know, resonantly when we hear them, where, where it's like, oh, yeah, that's totally me. That totally describes who I am or an experience that I've had. And it's just really interesting to me that those words at some point didn't exist. And then at some point, somebody made them up. And uh, now they get to give people comfort, um, community, a feeling of belonging, a feeling of, oh, yeah, I'm a thing that already exists. So I'm not a freak. I'm not broken. Like, it's a really beautiful thing, I think. 
Yeah. Oh my God. Definitely. That totally makes sense that like, this is your lens for, um, your relationship to like words and to language. And, and mm-hmm. I'm, that's just amazing that now <laughs> you've been presented with this opportunity to talk about exactly that. That is like, couldn't be, that couldn't be more up your alley. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so what I want to know what maybe specifically surrounding gender, because you're a cis woman. Mm-hmm. And um, maybe you can talk about like what 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 was the inspiration maybe to talk about gender as well as sexuality in this book. And yeah, I don't know if you want to talk about personal experiences or maybe just research and writing experiences and stuff like that. But like, why why was gender included as well into this book for you personally? Yeah, well, when the publisher approached me about making the book more gender focused. Mm -hmm. Uh, I was definitely a little bit apprehensive about it because I am cis. Um, But I spoke to my partner about it who is non-binary and they were saying to me like, there's nobody in the world who has all the identities and experiences that you're going to be talking about in this book. That is such a good point. Yeah. So anyone writing a book like this would have to do a lot of research to understand the terms in here that they don't have direct experience with or that don't apply to them directly. And so I just really, really emphasized doing a lot of research in the process of writing this book. Mm -hmm. Um, As I know you would, like you are a very thoughtful and very well-researched writer. So that doesn't surprise me. Yeah, well, I went to journalism school where, like, you could fail an assignment literally for having one factual error in the assignment. So, like, that was really kind of drilled into me. I was like, (laughs) I'm going to triple check everything. Because the reason that they do that is because they would say, like, in the real world, like, if you have a job at, like, the Toronto Star newspaper, for example, or something, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and you have a story that comes out with, like, a significant factual error in it, you could get fired for that. Like, it wouldn't even be a big deal (laughs) if you got fired for that. So... Yeah, that's that's been important to me since J school, pretty much. And um, do you say J school? I love that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's what they call it. <laughs> J school. Oh my god. <laughs> yeah. So I I did a lot of research. I read a lot of blog posts and academic articles and forum posts because um, some of these, especially the the more sort of like uncommon or niche identities in here. Um, have like not been discussed in a whole lot of like academic literature. So you really have to go digging and often have to read like personal accounts of people who identify that way. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of the things that I found really fascinating in doing this research is like how many of these terms do not really have a super concrete definition, which makes sense given that like they're non-binary, some of them. <laughs> <laughs> right. And also I think that human sexuality and human gender are both so expansive and individual that any attempt that we make to put label words on them, I think Mm -hmm. is never going to be quite accurate. Like I think even people who identify as like straight, for example, that doesn't mean that they're never in their life going to have an attraction toward a same sex person, whether it be sexual, romantic, Mm -hmm. even just a momentary thing. Mm -hmm. So I think, yeah, writing this book really showed me anytime you think there's a binary in sexuality and gender, there probably isn't really. Man, that would make it so, once making that realization, that would make it <laughs> so hard to go forward and like trying to write about it like in a definitive way. <laughs> I feel yeah, because like 
some of the hardest words to define in this book were words that you might think would have a pretty clear-cut definition if you don't really think about it for too long. Like stuff like But you're man, thinking about woman. it very long. <laughs> right. Like what is masculinity? What is femininity? Um, what does it mean to... I don't know. Like almost every single term... In this book, I have like a whole bunch of caveats written into it where it's like, it can mean this, but also sometimes it means this. And like, don't assume that it means this, but it might also mean this. It's just like so many of those. And I was really nervous about it because I thought like the writing, the the paragraphs are so stuffed with caveats like that, that I was like, surely the editors are going to want to tone that down. And I was worried because (laughs) as soon as they cut the nuance, they're going to cut like a lot of what's important about it. But they actually pretty much left things the same like there was pretty oh, minimal amazing. editing so i was glad that they sort of trusted me to do the best i could to to capture these words yeah that is that is uh this is a lot about that you know the those people and and their intentions behind releasing a book like this as well you know in collaboration with you it's like um, yeah totally yeah because that would be that would be really difficult. I've definitely, you know, done media um, in collaboration with other people and had the editors just kind of completely um, kind of t- change the whole intention of the piece, you know what I mean? Like in the final edit, <laughs> right. and they don't show you and blah, blah, blah. So it's like, that's really good to know, because these are like super important topics, right? Um, mm-hmm. And I know, again, you're a very thoughtful writer. So it's like, I'm really happy to hear that they supported you in your process. And um as as you said um what was the word you said that they trusted you yeah um yeah. to do to do your thing because you're you're the person that you you know a lot more about these topics than they do <laughs> hence why they hired you to do this you know thanks yeah you i was know. a little bit worried about it too because the publisher lawrence king is based in the uk and i know that transphobia in particular is like very rampant oh over there right now um in in no small part because of uh, J.K. Rowling. I mean, she Oof. is really um, causing a lot of harm and damage and violence to the, the trans community. Um, She's really and... dedicating her life to this. Like, she is know, really it's... going in on this. And... It's hugely disturbing to me on so many levels, like, on behalf of the trans people in my life who are really upset by it, and also on the level of, like, girl, are you okay? Like, do yeah, you have other shit to on? do? <laughs> Go to therapy. You need help, my friend. Get a hobby. Like, what is happening? Yeah, agreed. Oh, boy. Um, Well, that's a huge relief then, I'm sure, that uh, you didn't have any any sort of pushback on on some of this. I am curious if, if people that were, you know, helping you put this together did maybe not push to push back, but didn't understand some of it or, you know, were questioning to you surrounding some of the content of the book? There was actually really very little of that. Um, there were like a few things where they were like, you didn't really clarify this well enough. This doesn't right. really make sense. Um, but I worked really hard on making it as clear and comprehensible as I could because I was envisioning this as like a reference text that maybe you could give to, you know, your your parent if you're coming out to them as queer or trans or um, your homophobic uh, aunt who needs to come around or, you know, something like that. Like I wanted it to be something where you could come at it even if you don't have a super lot of knowledge already about this area. Yeah. Um, 
so yeah the the editing was not too intense um and it pretty much came out how i wanted it to the only thing that like i kind of worry about it uh with is that because this language is evolving so quickly especially within the queer community like there's a real good chance that this book might be totally out of date in like just a few years um but all i could do was capture like where i felt it was at when i wrote the book yeah Uh, yeah you can't what what else can you do you can't you know you can't predict (laughs) the future you can't (laughs) yep yeah this is representative of, of the now so yeah Along those lines, uh, you, what were you saying? You were talking about the, oh, the, like, intention of the book, um, meaning, mm-hmm. like, who who are you intending to read this? Uh, and I, I love that this could be a part of a coming out conversation for people, mm-hmm. for instance, because that's a question I get a lot, um, maybe not surrounding gender uh, specifically, but sexuality, definitely. I get the question a lot of like, how do I have a conversation, you know, coming out as kinky, either with, you know, your friends, maybe, or if your parents, if you want them to know that about you, or um, right. like more, most commonly, you know, a new partner, or when do I mm-hmm. tell them these things about myself, basically. So it's a coming out of sorts. Um, mm-hmm. and they're always curious, how can I have these conversations, um, you know, to both protect my own safety, which is paramount, um, but also to give them enough information, but also allow them to process it and come back with their own questions. So I, I'm just curious mm-hmm. how, like, how you could envision this book being used in, um, a common either a coming out or just like a sharing of information amongst people like that yeah for sure I think it's sort of similar to my last book uh 101 kinky things even you can do which I also envisioned as the kind of book you could use in like a coming out conversation like you said yeah and um with that one I had heard from some readers that they would like go through and like put little post-its on the pages of the things they wanted to try and then give it to their partner or they would like go through and highlight things together or whatever and that was super cute um, I could definitely see this latest book uh, being used in a similar way to like express things about yourself to somebody who you want to come out to. But I also think that it could be useful in the context of like looking through and seeing what resonates with you. Because I, I know that there are a lot of people who have some vague sense that maybe they're queer or maybe they're not cis or maybe they are kinky or asexual or something like that. But they don't really totally know the language for it or they don't really feel like they're quite xyz enough to earn that label or whatever and i think that books like this can be helpful to kind of page through um the other one that i would super recommend for that and that is much better for like um people who think that they might be trans or non-binary is Mm -hmm. my gender workbook by kate bornstein who is a uh, legendary trans writer um she is awesome. I have on several occasions recommended that book to folks who have like friends of mine who have come to me and been like, I think I might be trans or non-binary. What do I do? And I would be like, here, read this book. I love that you're the person that people come to. And they're like, Kate, what do I do? <laughs> I mean, it's, it's such an honor. And like part of the reason for that is that like I've had trans and non-binary friends and partners since I was in high school. Yeah. Um, and 
I don't, yeah, it's really strange that like several of my partners have actually like come out as non-binary, like after we stopped dating. And I'm like, I think I just am attracted to like gender transgression. Gender fuckery. Yeah. Yeah. Like I just, you know, I can definitely appreciate people who are not super transgressive in that way but i think i am just really drawn to people who are who are fucking with gender and like just doing interesting things with it and and have an energy that is just sort of you know unique to them in that way yeah (laughs) yeah when i asked the question of like you being a cis woman why write about gender like my my personal knowledge of you is that you have a lot of practical experience with a lot of trans and non-binary um and the people that just, um, yeah, like queer folks and stuff like that. You're very immersed both like, <laughs> you know, through writing and stuff like that and friendships, but also like partners and like best friendships and like mm-hmm. podcast co-hosts and like, <laughs> like, you know, me asking that question to ask that question, but also I'm like, you, you know, you have just had a shit ton of experience with, um, with the folks like this. So it, to me, it makes perfect sense, honestly. Yeah, and the thing that is important to remember too, and that I that I kept in mind in writing this book is like, yeah, I've I've been really close with a, a lot of trans folks and talked to them about their experiences, but they're you know, of course, they're not representative of everybody's experiences. So I really wanted to get out there and read broadly, um, including yep. from folks I totally don't know, have never met, are not even from the same spaces and communities as me. Nice, uh, because yeah, these terms are being used in a lot of different ways in a lot of different places. Yeah, I make sure to do the same thing anytime like uh, somebody needs to do like a really in-depth interview about sex work with me. I'm like, I'm, I get kind of nervous <laughs> of being the representative of, of sex right. work. And I try to do the same thing. And I always try to make sure they know that like, this is my story and how I've experienced sex work in my life. And like, that's very personal mm-hmm. to me and will be very different uh, to the next guy. And even just, you know, obviously the fact that I'm like, white, able-bodied, cis, um, I'm, I'm actually totally. in the minority, um, as far as when you look at who engages in sex work on the whole. Um, so right. I don't want to really be the person, like the face <laughs> of sex work. I'm like, Ooh, that makes me feel weird. I don't want it. Yeah. One thing you mentioned, uh, when you were talking about, we we're talking about like maybe part of a coming out conversation, what occurred to me is like, this could be a great book for people like the people who are preparing to have that conversation with a significant other or a loved one Mm -hmm. or whatever, you know what I mean? Like this could be them um, preparing, studying, you know, finding the words perhaps Mm -hmm. um, because they have their lived experience, but it's also good, you know, when you need to communicate this to somebody, maybe to just kind of read up and be like, Oh yes. Okay. I'll, I'll say that or whatever it is. I don't know. Right. that, That just thought, that just jumped into my brain. I'm like, ooh, this could like prep people to come out or to have a conversation surrounding sexuality and uh, gender. Yeah, I hope so. And there's there's so much imposter syndrome in the worlds of gender and sexuality. Like I hear it from people all the time where they're like, I don't know, like I'm sometimes attracted to people of my gender, but I don't know yeah. if I'm like bi enough or like... I don't know, like, I think I've experienced sexual attraction, but I'm not really sure. And I don't know if I'm asexual, like that kind of thing. And yeah. it's like, I I hope that folks can read this and maybe get a better sense of like, which words might apply to them that they didn't really feel comfortable putting on themselves before. Yeah. Um, and also, I hope that seeing the words will give them stuff to Google and to kind of 
go from. Yeah, it can be a jumping off point. Yeah, I wrote a big piece about asexuality a few years back, and I spoke to a bunch of ace folks. And one of the things that I found so striking in those interviews was how many of them like didn't know asexuality existed until they were like in their late teens or 20s. Mm -hmm. um, because it's sort of like, I mean, maybe this is a bad comparison, but it's like sort of like being colorblind, where like, if you've never felt it, how would you know that you've never felt it? Mm -hmm. uh, and also like, if you never knew it existed, how would you know that that you could be that thing? So for a lot of ace folks, it took like discovering communities of other ace people online to be like, oh, my God, that's me. That's been me the whole time. Yeah. So I'm really hoping that there are more books like this out there that help people kind of find those words that fit them well. Totally. Yeah. And it can kind of contribute to the zeitgeist uh, of like representation, right? Like that's something I talk to people mm -hmm. a lot of is, is like representation in media. You know, when mm -hmm. did you first see yourself? Stuff like that is super important and helping you on your journey, you know? Yep. Yeah. Um, oh, something you said gave me a thought. Oh, yes. Um, because I, I, we're both podcast hosts. We interview f folks and, and talk <laughs> about a lot of these topics pretty often. So like, yeah, one of the big ones that I come across a lot is folks who are bi or pan, um, mm -hmm. you know, and that internalized like biphobia surrounding, you know, coming out or a feeling queer enough or whatever it is, right? And it can, mm -hmm. um, yeah, it, it can really be difficult. Um, I, I like, I don't know if you've experienced this, but like for most people that are bi, um, they didn't come out because they didn't think you know, it was enough to come out about. There was nothing to come out about. Right. And that's like so much bi erasure happening. It was like, um, so the more stuff, the more information, representation we can get out there about, um, you know, what a, whatever identities is going to help people be like, oh my God, I'm in the book. Therefore, <laughs> whatever, whatever. <laughs> yeah, I did actually have that experience of like, I didn't come out to my parents about yeah. being bi when I realized it when I was like 15 16 and they both ended up separately individually asking me about it <laughs> like my mom saw on Facebook I changed my interest in to men and women and Ooh. she like wrote me a letter where she oh my just God, was not like <laughs> I saw this she was like I saw this I just want you to know that like I love you and Aww. I accept you and it was really Aww. sweet I was kind of embarrassed because I was like 15 and you know it's Get off <laughs> easily face, embarrassed mom. by right. <laughs> exactly and then another, like I think about a month later my dad was was driving me somewhere oh no and I was telling him about my plans and that I was going to go to the pride parade and stuff and and he straight up was like are you gay because like I had a lot of gay <laughs> friends so like I could have just been going with them he was like are, sure. are, you, gay? are you gay and I was like uh I'm bisexual and he was like does your mom know that and I was like yeah yeah she does yeah, I got a letter <laughs> she wrote me a full but I felt the letter. same I was like <laughs> yeah I was like I was like it just doesn't seem like a big enough deal to come out about yeah which is weird like yeah you're right in retrospect why wouldn't it be it's a part of my identity it's a part of who I am like yep. you know people don't have to come out if they don't want to but it is a little bit weird that I felt like I didn't need to or something yeah I had the same experience with my bisexuality and pansexuality <laughs> like never never did I come out that's so funny that you mentioned though you in the car with your dad oh my god important <laughs> conversations in the car where you're like held hostage like <laughs> 
15 this yeah. tiny confined intimate space it's like oh my god oh no you're in the car with your dad what happened he was grilling yep. you about something i've been there oh my god <laughs> i just had like a flash of a memory i was like oh no <laughs> Let's take a moment to talk about our lovely sponsors, shall we? First of all, ComeAsYouAre.com is a trans-owned, trans-operated sex shop that also happens to be feminist and anti-capitalist. They carry only the best sex toys and want to give you the best price possible. Next time, use the coupon code BEDPOST, that's B-E-D-P-O-S-T, when checking out at ComeAsYouAre.com. Club M4 wants to officially announce that they are back open for business, baby, at 1989 Dundas Street East, Mississauga. Club M4 is the largest sexually charged lifestyle club in the GTA, and they are super excited to tell you about their Saturday Couples in Single Women Only events. To keep updated on their events, go to at Club M4 Events on Instagram, or specifically for their kinky events, go to at Depraved Events on Instagram. And of course, head on down to clubm4.com to see what a lifestyle club by swingers for swingers is all about. Okay, I would like to ask you, was one, because you kind of said you did kind of like 100 words on sexuality and 100 words on gender, was Mm -hmm. one like harder to write about than the other? And maybe you can talk about that a bit, if so. Yeah, I I think that the conversations about gender in the way that we're having them nowadays are like less advanced than the conversations that we've having that we've been having about sexuality in terms yeah. of like I think a lot more people know words like bisexual and asexual and like what those types of words mean versus mm-hmm. like I think a lot of people are still really confused by like non-binary and they them pronouns and um the difference between like for example a drag queen and a trans woman like there's a lot of people out there who still like have very deep-seated misconceptions and confusions about gender issues and then of course also like it was the area where I needed to do more research because my focus generally has been sexuality uh in my career like I have done a fair bit of like gender writing as well and like I I volunteered at this website called Gender Fork when I was in high school where I was like a a curator of of submissions to this like big blog that was highlighting um, gender nonconforming folks. And so that was like uh, definitely one of my introductions to different gender identities. Um, You're doing that in high school? Yeah, because they they made me do like volunteer hours like as part of my uh, conditions to graduate. I worked at a retirement home. (laughs) <laughs> how'd you get that cool gig <laughs> I actually don't even really remember how I got that gig but like that's awesome I maybe I was like following somebody on Twitter who was the founder of the site I don't really remember but wow it was so cool it was such a cool team of people to work with and then I also ended up doing some volunteer hours at the LGBT youth line in Toronto nice. which is like a helpline for queer and trans youth wow. um and that was great training for this stuff as well because I just feel like you can read about 
these issues all you want but until you actually talk to people and like hear their stories and hear their struggles like you don't really have an on the ground sense of it uh so yeah those are both like really important introductions to like gender and sexuality concepts for me but yeah to answer your question the gender sections were definitely much harder for me to write also because there was like a lot more sort of like technical stuff that I had to look into as far as like chromosomes and hormone treatments and that kind of stuff yeah I feel like I would be (laughs) like looking up every word of every sentence just to make (laughs) sure that I wasn't like saying putting my foot in my mouth somewhere you know what I mean I would be so over overly editing that (laughs) I don't know if I'd ever actually finish (laughs) yeah well what I did was I wrote a certain number of sections per weekday and then at the end of the day my spouse would read them out loud to me over the phone and we would talk about them and usually they would have like some suggestions of like you left out this thing or like this doesn't really make sense or whatever and that was such an important part of this process for me because yeah being cis I'm just not gonna know everything and I'm not gonna catch everything yeah um I love to hear that because I know just from interviewing you in the past and I, and I, you know, know you through social media and as a friend and, and that was definitely going to be a question of like, was your spouse involved in any of this creative process? Because I know there's sometimes you two do that, um, Mm -hmm. surrounding writing and like to-do lists and, and accountability and stuff like that. So I'm, that's really lovely to hear that once again, they, they were involved in your creative (laughs) process. Yeah. I have this, this pivotal memory of the process of writing this book where like last year I came home from New York, uh, back to Toronto after an extended stay there during the pandemic. And because of the new, there were like rules at the time where you had to do a government mandated quarantine in a hotel for three days, which was like, it was, I understand why they were doing it, but it was kind of ridiculous because it was like $2,000 for like three days because you have to pay for like meals and cleaning and stuff. I was like, I cannot, I cannot afford this, but okay, Justin Trudeau. So I was pretty pissed off about it, but I was stuck in this hotel. It was like a decently nice hotel, and I couldn't leave for three days. So I was just like working really hard on the book. I was like, I might as well just throw myself into this and like knock out a lot of sections while I'm here. And then at the end of the night, every night, I would be on the phone with my partner like in a nightgown in my fancy hotel bed drinking a martini that the the bar sent up for me where I would and I would be like listening to Matt reading through the sections and being like oh like you forgot this thing or like have you considered this thing and uh yeah it was just like a really beautiful time I felt like I made the most of this quarantine that I was like really pissed off about having to do definitely that sounds kind of fabulous yeah <laughs> Like, as far as, like, a glimpse into a writer's life, like, that is not how he would usually look. Like, <laughs> martini yeah, in mean, hand, fancy hotel. Like, <laughs> If I could afford to do that all the time, I would, but sadly yeah. cannot. <laughs> yeah, you know how people, like, I know bands a lot will, like, go away, you know, to a cottage all together and write an album together or something like that. Right. Like, go on a retreat where they're, like, away from everything. <laughs> That's, like, mm-hmm. your little version of that. <laughs> Yeah, I've always wanted to do, like, a solo writing retreat like that. Uh, like, even just maybe, like, book an Airbnb yeah. in, you know, Peterborough or Hamilton or something. 
Um, you could do better than it, that, I think. But. <laughs> I don't. I don't drive. That's the thing. Okay, got you. <laughs> it's hard for me to get places. Um, but it's no, always sh- just no too shade expensive. to the hammer, but yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I feel like you could get a little cute little place up north somewhere. Yeah, I just want like a view of a lake and like good Wi-Fi and a bathtub. That's, That's what all you I need. need. Yep. <laughs> Um, were there any specific words that were hard, hardest to define and talk about for you? There were so many and like, in... <laughs> you're like half of them, honestly. <laughs> yeah. In the, in the part of what my spouse did that was helpful for me in writing this book was sometimes they would choose which words I was going to write on any given day, because there were some that I was definitely starting to avoid because I was like, oh God, how am I even going to, like, I remember one of the ones that I really had a mental block about was literally the first definition in the book, gender. And I was wow. like, what? Like, how do I even? me and Matt listened to this podcast together sometimes that that we both really like called gender reveal which is hosted by tuck woodstock who is this very excellent um trans interviewer and podcaster and journalist and one of the questions that tuck always asks every guest and every guest is trans or non-binary pretty much Mm -hmm. is um like how do you define gender or like that's kind of like the project of the podcast more broadly is to kind of figure out like what is gender. And so to me, like if great minds like that are struggling to define it, I was like, I don't know how I can even possibly do it, but, um, also validating in your struggle to define it as well, you know? Right. True. Yeah. Um, and I did get there eventually. Um, I mean, for a lot of these, I just read, you know, dozens of other people's definitions of the word and sort of wrote down like what I thought the kind of key takeaways were and and rephrased them and figured out a way to say them that was like cohesive. But that, yeah, gender, definitely one of the hardest to define words in this entire book. I don't even know where, how I would start. Yeah, I get asked like the question of like, what is kink you know and I'm like oh Mm -hmm. god (laughs) I I know I got asked that a lot when I was when I was doing press for my last book (laughs) a lot of people were like can you explain like what kink is and how it's different from BDSM and yeah how it's different from vanilla sex yeah Yeah. and fetish yeah and I was like well the thing is that I actually kind of can't but I have to because (laughs) that's what I'm doing here (laughs) (laughs) that's the reason I'm sitting in this chair (laughs) yeah I had somebody like I did a podcast, um, and it was, uh, like, erotica-based, um, mm-hmm. and, yeah, they asked me, like, what is erotica? And and I was like, what? That's, <laughs> <laughs> like, an essay question in, like, a philosophy course yeah. or something. <laughs> I was like, okay, watch me bullshit through this answer, Jesus. <laughs> Um, that said, uh, what were words that you like knocked off earliest on your to-do list? Yeah, I think some of the ones that I personally most enjoyed writing were ones that I already have strong opinions about. Nice. Um, like going into it, like there's, uh, there's some sections in here about conversion therapy and like the ex-gay movement, which is like a movement of people who claim that they are no longer gay now that they've been through conversion therapy. And these are usually very religious movements and of course, like very homophobic and archaic and based in pseudoscience. Like there's never been any proof that you can actually 
make someone not gay. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's something that I like already knew a bit about and found interesting and, and wanted to strongly write my opinions about in the book. <laughs> so that was fun. And then, you know, anything that I have personally experienced was definitely much easier for me to write about. So like femme phobia, uh, bisexual can, erasure. Can you, can you talk about, we, yeah, we did hit on bisexual erasure. Can you talk about femme phobia for a second? Yeah, sure. Um, so I think that femphobia is in some ways a flavor of misogyny and in some ways also a little bit different. Um, femme was also like kind of another tough term yeah. to define because like broadly speaking, I think a lot of people see it as like a descriptor of someone who is on the feminine side of the spectrum, like regardless of gender. Um, but you know, there's more nuance to it than that. And there are people who define it differently than that. But femphobia is like the discrimination against or bias against people who are femme or femme presenting. Um, And a lot of times this manifests as like like a misogynistic dismissal of anything perceived as feminine. Um, whether it be wearing pretty dresses and lipstick or uh, liking to spend money on clothes or buying pumpkin spice lattes or whatever. (laughs) Like you see this all the time in culture, like people being very derisive about things associated with femininity um, and saying that it's like uh, frivolous or stupid, which I always just find so transparently sexist because like we don't, rag on dudes for like spending a lot of money on video games for example yeah Um, like i feel like the term would be like hashtag basic bitch you know (laughs) it's like well right if you're finding joy in these activities then like why why are we putting the judgment on it yeah right and the reason is yeah that an internalized kind of misogyny surrounding even like uh from women and from femmes to other femmes you know yeah, I was going to say yeah. there's like a there's another side to femphobia which is like within the queer community itself there can be um like for example in a queer organization that I was once involved with I th- there was like a new leader who took over and I immediately noticed that they were like very cold toward the queer femmes like it was like they I don't know, like they thought we weren't like really queer or something. Um, and I've seen that a lot. It's it's definitely a thing like by femme erasure or like queer femme erasure in general, like the assumption in queer communities that femmes are either like not queer at all or like aren't queer in the right ways or aren't like transgressive enough. Um, and yeah, it sucks. Um, I think that... <laughs> It's been helpful for me to like learn about these concepts so that I can not so easily fall into the traps of perpetuating them. Yeah. Um, because I think awareness is a, is a big part of the solution to a lot of these problems. Definitely. Um, for you, I'm interested if you can talk about for you what this word and the, what this topic means, because I know you're a Femi. You're, I know you're a Femi gal. You like mm-hmm. your lipstick. You like your, you know what I mean? <laughs> you like your outfits of the days. Mm-hmm. And stuff like that. I feel like you do write about femininity a lot. Um, can you just talk I do. about like why that is personal? That, why this was an easy one for you to write specifically or one that excited you to write about? Yeah, sure. Uh, yeah, so I've identified as a femme like pretty much since I found out that that word existed. And I think that one of the first places where I 
found out about that word was from Esper Bergman's book, Butch is a Noun, which I read when I was in high school. And it's this great series of essays about gender and queerness. Um, and Bear was, I'm not sure about now, but Bear was identifying at the time as a butch. And there was a fair number of essays in that book about kind of like the interplay between butch and femme mm -hmm. and about femmes in particular. And I just so strongly identified with that. Um, and for me, I think it's about a flavor of femininity that is very queered and very intentional. Um, so, you know, I think that some straight women sort of fall into a feminine style of dressing and, and attiring themselves, not necessarily because they've deliberately chosen it, but because that's just sort of like the default for yeah their position in society and like there's nothing necessarily wrong with that but I find queer feminists really interesting because I think it's like a very deliberately chosen femininity because once you're no longer performing strictly for the male gaze as a as a sexual or romantic person in the world mm -hmm. I feel like a lot more options open up like I first noticed this when one time I was invited to a solstice party that I knew was going to be all queer women and like only queer women and I noticed that the way that I dressed and the way that I did my makeup for that event was like so different from how I would do it in like any situation where there would be men yeah. um, and that was such a good example for me of like queer feminists where it's like for me it ends up being kind of like a weird femininity or like an over-the-top femininity where it's like yeah I look like I'm trying to dress as like a cartoon of Marilyn Monroe or something and um, that's just really fun for me. It just feels very, like, gender euphoric and uh, really makes me feel the most like myself. Yeah, because that's that's kind of a cool thing to bring up, I think, like, um, gender-affirming activities. It's like, yeah. cis people do gender-affirming activities all the time. You know totally. what I mean? We just don't call it that. We call it yeah. girls' night out and, like, like you know, <laughs> whatever the hell else, you know? Yeah, that, that came up a lot um, in discussions with my spouse while I was writing this book because, uh, in particular, like, there's a there's a word that I define in the book called autogynophilia, hmm. which is sort of like a made-up, I think basically a made-up term by, um, by TERFs uh, and transphobes. <laughs> And it's supposedly a condition where, like, a man is turned on by seeing himself attired as a woman and, like, this is his fetish. And then so right. they argue that this is, like, what trans women are, which is, you know, just plainly uh, not what trans yeah. women are. Um, but I think that part of what, like, really gets my goat about this term gets is that, goat. like, <laughs> is that, like exactly what you said like I don't think that there's anything uncommon or weird at all about anybody of any gender looking in the mirror and seeing if you're you know if you happen to be dressed on that day mm -hmm. in a way that fits the way that your gender feels to you internally yeah you're gonna feel good about that maybe you're gonna get turned on maybe you're just gonna feel confident and like confidence helps Sexy. you feel more turned on whatever yeah, yeah, and yeah. I, I just don't think that it's like an uncommon thing at all and I find it so weird that so many transphobes are holding it up as proof that uh you know trans people's gender is in fact a fetish and that that negates it as a gender and i'm like do you know how much gender stuff straight cis people fetishize like oh yes 
if you look at, for example, like any porn marketed to cis gay men, there's like such intense fetishization of masculinity. Um, if you look at a lot of media that depicts straight women like at all, there's intense fetishization of femininity. I, mean, I think femdom. That, uh, femdom. Right. Yeah. I always think when I read like bridal blogs or like anything related to weddings that so much of that is about fetishizing a certain type of femininity like it's just constantly done and for people to say that fetishizing gender is bad is like just disingenuous like are you just not aware that you do it yes you probably do do it yeah that it's bad or that it's just exclusive to like the trans community is yeah Yeah. or to like perverts and deviants or whatever and it's like well no. <laughs> yeah, it is interesting. Yeah, this whole conversation for me, I feel like it would be extra hard to write about all these nuances, um, specifically because of my experience in femdom and like mm-hmm. the gender performance of like the high femme, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And like kind of putting on that feminine drag um, right. sometimes and that whole experience, but also my experience with people who do things like. Um, oh gosh, like these are all different too. I'm not grouping these all together, but they're kind of adjacent, like bimbofication, Mm -hmm. sissification, feminization, dollification, like all of these things are like, I feel like I'm just learning more and more about the nuances um, of like gender, but also like how sexuality plays with gender. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's just constantly blowing my mind. Yeah, 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 totally. And trying to do it like in an ethical way, you know, facilitate scenes for people in an ethical way and like making sure that, you know, trying to get to the intention of these activities and stuff like that. Because some mm-hmm. types of, uh, for some folks, some types of this play is, um, you know, there's misogyny under a lot of it. Like for cis men that engage in like just femdom in general it's like there's some misogyny there it's like sometimes mm-hmm. i have to ask myself am i am i flipping the heteronormative script or am i per- perpetuating it you know what i mean right so that's something that i kind of constantly have to kind of just ride that line and yeah. making sure i do it in a way that feels good to me because i want to do it as ethical as possible yeah i think that uh there are some theorists like Judith Butler, who might argue that all gender is to some extent a performance. Um, It's just that some, you know, expressions of it are more normalized. Yes. And some are seen as more unusual. But uh, yeah, I get what you're saying. And I find it interesting to play with like different sides of my gender expression in sex and kink as well. Although like, I still think that I haven't really... There, there are definitely days when I wake up feeling more kind of like masculine or butch and like feel more at home in like clothes that are like that. And I don't think that I've really like found a place for that side of myself in my sex and kink yet. Mm-hmm. But, you know, maybe I will someday. Yeah. <laughs> Put it on the list. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> are there many things left on your list? I feel like you've done a lot. <laughs> <laughs> There's a few things, yeah. I I think that um, 
Yeah, I think that since like my I've, I have a chronic illness and I have chronic pain, and I think that since that stuff has ramped up, it's been harder for me to do like really wild stuff that I would like to do because there's <laughs> just so many days when I'm like, I can't even do basic stuff, let yeah. alone be trampled. But <laughs> <laughs> be trampled by a hot fam, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> really wish I could. Someday I will. Yeah, I hear you. Oh, I like that's the like dissonance between like watching videos of people doing things and then me trying to do them. And I'm like, nope, my body just, <laughs> I'll just continue watching it because my body will, does not bend that way or <laughs> like whatever. Yeah. yeah. My partner, my partner has trampled me. Um, but I think that the times that we've done it, I just always wished that my body could take more yeah. of it. And then my body would just like wimp out after a few minutes um yeah, endurance is a part of that kind of thing that happens as well it's like oh yeah <laughs> these people are like champs in these videos yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like good for yep. them it helps you develop <laughs> more of an appreciation for these performers you know <laughs> absolutely yeah yeah um is there like do you have like a takeaway um from this book like like what's if you want people to take away one thing from this book, what would it be? Huh. I think broadly speaking, it's important to remember that language is fake. And like that, let me explain that a little bit. Cause that yeah, sounds weird. No, that's interesting. Do please do. Yeah. What I mean is that it's, it's entirely constructed like we were talking about. And yeah. so people worry a lot about, fitting into certain categories like I remember in the early days of me coming out as bi I would often have the thought like I wish that they could do like a brain scan and see if they could see like wow, parts yeah. of the brain and like confirm neurologically am I in fact bi or am I deluding myself in some way or something and I think that there's like some evidence that you can actually like see queerness maybe in the brain but I don't think that it's like super uh figured out yet but I always kind of like wished that there was like an empirical way for me to know, like if I really do fit into certain identities that I consider myself to have. And I think a lot of people feel that way to some extent. And the thing is like, it's just so self-defined. Like it just sort of has to be by necessity of what it is. And so I know it can be really hard to pick up a new identity word that you're not comfy with and say, I am this thing and like lay claim to that and join those communities. But um, you are the one who gets to define what you are. And if you feel like a word resonates with you and like it would help you in some way to use that label, you're allowed to use it, I think. With yeah. the exception that, you know, there's, there's some exceptions in here of like terms that are specific to certain cultures, like for example, yeah, like two-spirit or like, yes. um, there are some terms that come from African-American vernacular English or from like black queer communities, like B-O-I, boy. Um, I'm so happy and, you're talking about this. Yes. Great. Yeah. I felt it was important to talk about those things in there because yeah, like it's, it's not cool to be doing cultural appropriation as part of your, as part of your gender and sexuality identification. But um even for words like that like there are words that are more appropriate to whatever your culture or background is that would sort of like fit that description to some extent yeah i think that's especially um important to talk about because i i feel like some people don't a lot of people probably are not realizing that is what they're doing like they're like oh mm -hmm. this is like don't don't people confuse aave for like oh no this is just like 
TikTok language or something. Right. Like, what do they say? They say something like stupid like that, where they're just like, this is how, I don't know. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> like, like it's, oh, what is it? It's like white gays doing an impression of black people. Um, yeah. And white women who are, are doing an impression <laughs> of that. Like, it's yeah. like, yep. yeah. <laughs> yeah. And people don't realize the or- origins of stuff like this and how it can be, uh, how it can be harmful. Yep. 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 Um, yeah, I think that's interesting when you're like writing a book about like, you're basically defining words. And then the takeaway is like, words are made up. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> It's so true, though, because even stuff like of people um, changing identities over times, like, you know, like letting go of a right. word you used to use and, um, you know, updating as things go, that's okay, too. You know, if you choose one and then totally. you live in it for a bit and then realize it doesn't quite fit and then, um, yeah, try to continue your journey. That's okay, too. Yeah, I was identifying as a sapiosexual for a bit when I was younger, which mm-hmm. is like a term for people who are attracted to intelligence. And then I just kind of learned more about that and read more different people talking about that word. And I realized that it was just sort of a oh, way ableist. of perpetuating <laughs> classism and ableism. Yeah. And it's also like, it does not need to be a sexual orientation. Like, I do definitely feel like I have to find someone intelligent in order to be attracted to them. But there's a lot of different ways to be intelligent. And I think that sapiosexuality kind of tends to like privilege certain types of intelligence over others. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's also just like, it's, it's not an orientation. (laughs) Like you can be attracted to smart and funny people or smart people like regardless of what other orientations you might or might not have so I don't know I stopped using that term I just felt like it was unnecessarily elitist um and that was kind of co-opted to kind of mean something different than it originally did perhaps yeah, and it, it always feels kind of braggy to me, like, as if you're like, oh, I have good taste in people. I'm only attracted to people who are smart. And it's like, well, we all want to be with someone who, like, we get their brain and they get our brain. Like, you know, I don't think that that's, like, that uncommon. Yeah, we like nice brains. That's just... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, that's that's also an, imp- an um, interesting kind of thing about writing of words. And as you said, like, the words are changing and stuff like mm-hmm. this. And, like, these definitions that we're going with today may not be true five years down the road, that that's... Um, yep. That's kind of interesting to think of, like, you know, some of the words that five years ago or 10 years ago are now Mm -hmm. kind of different. Um, And I mean, the main one jumping to my mind is like specifically surrounding transness. Like those Mm -hmm. terms have changed, you know, a lot throughout the decades and, um, you know, probably will continue to going forward. Yeah. Um, It's still evolving same as sexuality is and Mm -hmm. it probably will continue evolving like for as long as humanity is around i don't think we're ever going to like solve gender or solve sexuality because i don't really think that that's the thing you can do yeah again it's not like something you can see on an mri yeah and no definitively scientifically (laughs) academically (laughs) it's uh, I mean I'm sure why you've been writing about sex for so long is similar to my intentions of like it's just endlessly fascinating in that way because you can never know everything Mm -hmm. 
and it's just kind of that thing of just constant acquisition of like information and and you know mm-hmm. you could you could literally do this until the day you die and never know ever, anything anything yep. everything <laughs> also anything what do i know really yeah some days i do feel like i i don't know, know anything isn't there a quote that that's when your journey begins when you truly realize you don't know anything? Yeah. <laughs> that's when you level up and unlock a new part of your brain. Yeah. Um, <laughs> okay, do you have anything, um, any closing words before we move on to talking about where we could get the book and throw money at you? Is there anything that you want to kind of wrap up with here? Um. Yeah, I just wanted to say again, like, transphobia is an extremely rampant issue right now Um, not just in the UK but like in lots of places all over the world Um, and it is uh, a big issue in the states right now Um, there's a lot of laws that seem to just basically be trying to legislate trans people out of existence or out of public life Um, there's the stuff going on in Texas where uh, the parents of trans youth can be um, held liable criminally if they help their kids access life-saving gender affirmation care, um, which is extremely, extremely fucked up. And uh, I would just really urge folks who are interested in this to look into like lo- local organizations that help trans people in direct ways or that work on uh, legislations of this type and, and try to give them your money or yeah. get the word out there. Um, there's just such animosity toward trans people in the world right now. And they're just trying to live like they're just trying to live like anybody else, like just get access to what they the health care that they need and be allowed to go places and be allowed to use public bathrooms if they need to. Like they're not really asking for that much. Yeah. And the pushback has been unbelievable and often quite violent. And just, you know, call it out when you see it. Donate to these orgs if you can. Try to be a good ally to the trans folks in your life. Uh, and, yeah, that's yeah. that's what I would say. Thank you for that. I really appreciate that. Um, and I'm sure, I'm sure a lot of listeners do as well. Um, let us know where we can find and follow you. Buy the book. Buy your last book. Um even like you also do writing for a lot of other publications too. Like you are a busy <laughs> fucking person. Where can I'm we very see busy everything? and very tired. Yeah. Very, uh, I'm a tired person. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> My sort of central hub on the internet is katesloan.com. Mm-hmm. That has links to both my books, some of my articles, my blog. Um, I'm also doing a project this year where, because I'm a singer-songwriter as well, and I'm, I'm writing and recording yeah. one song per week, so yes. there's links to that on the website. So that's all at katesloan.com. You can check out my sex blog at girlyjuice.net, and I co-host two podcasts. Uh, one of them is The Dildorks, which is about sex, dating, and masturbating, and the other one is called Question Box, and it's the game show podcast of shockingly personal questions. And I'm also on Twitter and Instagram at girly underscore juice. 
Love it. I see. I I feel like I'm a busy person, and then I hear all the stuff that you have ongoing in your life. Um, for me, everybody, I'm at the Lady Pim One on Twitter. That's for sure where I'm most active. But if you must follow me on Instagram, I'm at the Lady Pim One and at the Bedpost Podcast. Here at the podcast, we have a Patreon. It is the Bedpost Show. If we have a YouTube channel, it is the Bedpost Show. And I don't like to go an episode without mentioning the lovely lady who does all the original music for my pod. She is Stephanie Copeland, and you can find out more about her at stephcopelandmusic.com. Kate, once again, fabulous. So nice to talk to you today. Thank you. <laughs> nice to talk to you. Thanks for having me. Oh, my God. Anytime. Come back. When you write your next book, come back. <laughs> I'll see you in about six months. Um, thank you, everyone. I hope you enjoyed this episode. We'll see you next week with another fun and sexy guest here in the studio talking about sex and sexuality on, what is it? I forget. The Bed Post Podcast. <laughs> Get fucked, everybody. Bye. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> This podcast has been brought to you by the Sonar Network.